The boy had fallen into the river by the quay. Klaus had to swim about 60 yards, caught the boy and brought him back unconscious where Bleasdale, using artificial respiration, restored him. Join us for another episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects, Stories from Lancaster City Museums. I'm Rachel Roberts and I'm the Collections Registrar for Lancaster City Museums. In this series, we're looking at 100 objects from Lancaster, Morecambe and the surrounding area to celebrate a century of our museums and to find out more about the past and how we relate to it now. Today's object is a medal given for a heroic act, but it's not a military medal. Instead, hundreds of people across the UK receive medals like this for helping save a life in an everyday setting. Today's object is a Royal Humane Society medal, awarded to Alfred Clowes. The medal is a round metal disc of dark bronze colour which features the image of a small child or cherub holding a flower. Surrounding the figure is the Latin motto of the Royal Humane Society, which translates to mean, perhaps a small spark may lie hidden. On the reverse are more mottos in Latin, including one which translates to, he earned this price or prize by saving a citizen, and a design of a laurel wreath. The details of who it was awarded to are inscribed around the edge of the medal. From this we can learn that the medal was awarded to Alfred Clowes in 1904. The medal section is attached to a deep blue ribbon. The colour of this indicates that it's the Royal Humane Society Bronze Medal, which was first introduced in 1837 and given to people who put their own lives at risk to save another person. Across this ribbon is an additional bar which reads RHS July 1906. We spoke to Andrew Wormsley, a PhD student at Lancaster University who's researching a lifeboat monument at St Anne's and how society commemorates heroism. He told us a little bit more about what Alfred did to be awarded this medal. Alfred Clowes was awarded the medal in 1904 and the clasp in 1906 for rescuing people from the loon. He also received a vellum certificate for a similar heroic rescue in 1903. And his obituary stated that he rescued people from drowning nine times in total. Details of these rescues and others recognised by the Humane Society were recorded in ledgers which are now held in the London Metropolitan Archives. Time and place are recorded along with the particulars of the incident and the name and addresses of witnesses. Witnesses were important, so there had to be people who were prepared to testify to this. So these ledgers show us that at 11am on 25th of July 1903, a girl, Emmy Nightingale, fell into the loon from the quayside, where it was 14 feet deep and there was a strong stream running out. Klaus threw off his coat and, jumping in, swam with her to the steps. The award was a certificate printed on vellum. Now, the medal was given to Alfred, again, who's recorded as a licensed vittler, and along with the Richard Bleasdale, they were involved in saving a boy, A. Worthington, who'd fallen into the loon at 10.30 on 16th of April 1904. The boy had fallen into the river by the quay and was 25 yards out with the tide running in fast. Klaus had to swim about 60 yards, that's quite a distance, and caught the boy and brought him back unconscious to the quay, where Bleasdale, using artificial respiration, restored him. There was one witness, and Klaus received a bronze medal this time, with Bleasdale receiving a resuscitation certificate. Moving forward to 1906, on 26th July, Alfred Clowes of the Blue Anchor Inn rescued Harry Luth, who fell into the loom from the quay where it was 15 to 20 feet deep. Clowes jumped in fully clothed and with difficulty managed to get him into a boat and onto the quayside. 
Anyone receiving a medal had to be nominated by a reliable person, and in each case, Alfred was nominated by a T. Gill, who was a Lancaster journalist and secretary of the local branch of the Humane Society. Alfred's actions, particularly the medal, were covered quite widely across the north of England. The Lancaster Standard report of 1904 says, On the day of the incident, Alfred was at home at the Blue Anchor Inn, where he was licensee. He heard some cries for help, and, quoting from the newspaper, as he always did in similar cases, ran outside, and on learning that a child had fallen into the river and was rapidly taken into midstream, he swam and rescued the child. The presentation was made by the mayor, who had known him as a good volunteer for many years, and Alfred responded, saying that he would be willing to act in the same way again if the occasion arose for rendering assistance. What else do we know about the life of this local hero? We know other things about Alfred. He was uh, a licensee and an army volunteer. So he was born in uh, November 1877 and baptised in Lancaster on the following February. His parents were James and Mary, and the family lived on China Lane, and his father's occupation as given as traveller. In the 1891 census, the family lived on Castle Hill, and his father was a foreman in the oilcloth work, so it sounds like he's moved up in the world a bit. Alfred has left school at this point and is being employed as a messenger boy. I've been unable to find Alfred in the 1901 census. It seems to be the case that Alfred wouldn't be on the census at this point, as he was fighting in the Boer War. The Lancaster Evening Post of 22nd January 1901 reports that Amongst the privates accepted is Alfred Clowes, the well-known Lancaster footballer of the three-quarter line, who has already lost a brother in the campaign. Another article in the Evening Post of the year before also contained a piece about his skill in football, that's rugby football, and he played for Marsh Hornets, for whom he was a leading try-getter. Other newspaper items show that he was quite a feisty player. On Wednesday, 19th April 1905, the Evening Post again noted that Alfred and a player from an opposing team had been fined by the Northern Union League and suspended for a short while for fighting during the match. And there were several other similar reports about Alfred. There's a curious little advertisement in the Evening Post in October 1906 which shows that he had a keen interest in racing pigeons. He was advertising the sale of a grand lot of homers along with a loft and baskets and the contact is clouds at the Blue Anchor. By the time we get to the 1911 census, Alfred could be found as a married man and the licensed fiddler at the Cross Keys in Lancaster. He also fought in the First World War. The website of the King's Own Museum contains several images of Sergeant Alfred Clowes. Alfred was mobilised in 1915 during World War I and arrived in France on 15th February. After being wounded, he was transferred to the Labour Corps and discharged on 29th January 1918. So I was rather shocked and intrigued to see an article in the press in 1923 when the Lancashire Evening Post reported on the Lancaster landlord's death due to chronic alcoholic poisoning. A Dr Miller had attended the deceased, that's Alfred, on the day before his death when he was intoxicated, rather unreasonable and decidedly noisy. The doctor prescribed medication, but he was also called to him on the following morning when life was found to be extinct. The coroner found various issues with the body, but all the organs showed signs of chronic alcoholic poisoning. His daughter Florence appeared at the inquest and confirmed that her father had been drinking heavily of late. The report noted that the deceased was well known in the town and had served in the South African War and in the recent European War. He was also acknowledged as a keen sportsman in rugby, soccer and cricket. But a police officer wrote, Sir, I beg to report that the deceased had been a very heavy drinker all his life and during the last four weeks he has had periods of delirium tremens. His wife sent for Dr Miller, who prescribed a sleeping draught. The deceased was asleep all night, and at 5am his wife saw him in the act of getting out of bed. He had his feet on the floor, when he suddenly fell backwards onto the bed and expired in a few minutes. It's a sad end, perhaps, to what was an interesting and public-spirited life of a valued member of the community.
And what about the organisation which awarded this medal and clasp to Alfred? Who were the Royal Humane Society? The Royal Humane Society, as it became, was founded in London in 1774 by two doctors, a William Hawes and Thomas Cogan. Originally, it was known as the Society for the Recovery of Persons Apparently Drowned. So both of these men were concerned at the number of people wrongly taken for dead, and in some cases buried alive, but they're also part of a burgeoning interest in Europe in the science and practice of resuscitation. The Society had five key aims initially. One was to publish information on how to save people from drowning. They paid two guineas to anyone attempting a rescue in the Westminster area of London, four guineas to anyone successfully bringing someone back to life, and one guinea to anyone who was often a pub owner who allowed a body to be treated in his or her house. The final aim was to provide volunteer medical assistance with some basic life-saving equipment. This soon gave way to a kind of bit of a scam, so one person would pretend to be rescued and the other the rescuer, and they would then share the proceeds. So eventually monetary rewards were replaced by medals and certificates with occasional pecuniary payments. Craig Barclay notes that they took their inspiration from a Dutch organisation. And this is clearly acknowledged in a document from the society at the time of its inception. So it cites the Dutch influence along with developments in Milan, Venice and Hamburg. Barclay also notes that it wasn't just the saving of life that was significant. Saving of souls and money were deemed equally important. And this is a quote he gives from an annual report. It says, it is our duty as well as interest to replace the industrious poor in their sphere of usefulness that they may again work for their wives and families, whereby they are snatched from misery and want, and the community relieved from a troublesome and expensive burden. In practical terms, a network of receiving houses was set up in and around the Westminster area of London, where the recovered, many pulled out of London's waterways, could be taken for treatment. Gradually, branches of the society were set up in other parts of the country, mainly in ports and coastal towns where the risk of drowning was higher. This included Lancaster. The early transactions of the society include Lancaster in the towns to have representation. So some of the methods of resuscitation seem to have a familiar or common sense kind of quality. So the Birmingham Gazette in 20th of June 1875 said that one of the assistants, that's somebody doing the reviving, is to blow with considerable force through a cloth or handkerchief applied to the mouth of the object in order to introduce air into the lung. But more startling perhaps to the contemporary audience might be the suggestion that the smoke of tobacco should be thrown up the fundament. So that's a smoke enema, in other words. It wasn't without a rationale, of course, and a blog from the Science Museum explains that at the time, many medical treatments were based on four humours. So good health was dependent on a balance of blood, phlegm, black bile and yellow bile. And those who were half drowned, if you like, were thought to suffer from an excess of wet phlegm and cold black bile. So introducing warm, dry substances into the body was considered key to resuscitation. Humane Society sit within the wider world and the way in which people memorialised acts of bravery. The Royal Humane Society quickly gained a foothold and in 1824 it was celebrating its 50th anniversary. There was an event at the City of London Tavern where there were numerous and highly respectable assemblage of its supporters. There was also what seems to be a slightly bizarre and voyeuristic procession of people who had been recently rescued so they were kind of paraded uh, around the room. The society continued to be 
and very important throughout the 19th and early 20th century. This was one of the ways of creating national exemplars, which all sections of the society might identify with. There were more usually military or naval heroes of high rank. British war memorials carried the names of officers only, but gradually, and, and rather later in Britain than on the continent, the celebration of heroism began to be democratised, with, for example, the names of ordinary combatants appearing on war memorials, and the same combatants being acknowledged with medals. Matthew Bolton issued at his own mint a medal to over 14,000 ordinary seamen who'd fought at Trafalgar. Despite some official resistance to recognising ordinary ranks, the British government did award the first medal to all combatants, with the Waterloo Medal following the eponymous battle. The Royal Humane Society, in a way, followed a similar trajectory, with medals at first only awarded to more respectable supporters and patrons. That's a quote from Barclay. And by the second half of the 19th century, the Society's medals were awarded to much wider demographics. It's true that the bronze medals to reward most given to persons of lower classes, people such as Alfred, while silver medals were generally awarded to people of higher status. During the 19th century, for a whole array of reasons, the heroic actions of ordinary people were extolled in newspaper articles, biographies, paintings, ballads, poetry, monuments and memorials. So in some ways, such awards came from a kind of liberal desire to acknowledge the heroic actions of ordinary people. But it also speaks of the power of the mass of ordinary people. In a military context, Nicholas Penny has noted that a potential naval mutiny in 1787 had to be put down by force. Medals were given to the men who did not join the mutiny, so loyalty was awarded with recognition. And in a similar kind of a way, exemplary behaviour of ordinary people was awarded with medals, such as those awarded by the Humane Society. This had the potential to bring them into the national fold and help develop a broader sense of nationhood across all levels of society. It also provided perhaps a certain reassurance to the middle classes and elites that the working classes might not threaten the stability of a society that had many benefits for those in positions of relative power, security and influence. To finish off, we headed back to Lancaster and asked Andrew if the rescues that Klaus was involved with were the only ones listed for the loon, or whether falling into the river was a common danger. Looking at local newspapers, people were either drowning in the river or being rescued from the the river quite frequently. The museum actually holds another bronze medal given to a Thomas Sanderson, an apprentice coachmaker, who was awarded a medal in 1876 for a rescue carried out in 1875. His employer, a coachmaker, Mr Gilchrist, nominated for the award after he rescued a youth who had fallen through the ice while skating. So this was going into cold water to rescue somebody. This is reported in the Lancaster Gazette in January 1876, and he was presented with the medal in front of all his work colleagues. The article also notes he had previously rescued two boys from the loon, so like Alfred, he had a reputation as a rescuer, and this seems not to have been uncommon. For example, in September 1845, a small child named Friars fell into the river, and a passerby immediately ran for a man called William Rennie, who managed to find the child under the water, and the child survived. Kendall Mercury noted that Mr Rennie has been the means of saving many persons from drowning in the loon. Similarly, in August 1842, there's a report of a young man named Grant who rescued a young man named Rhodes from the loon. It said, Too much praise cannot be given to Grant for his gallant and intrepid conduct in rescuing his fellow creatures from a watery grave, this being the second time he is rescued under such circumstances. So it's nice to think that Alfred was part of a long list of kind of community uh, rescuers. Thank you so much for exploring this story with us in 100 Years, 100 Objects. We do hope you'll check out some of our other episodes where we talk about objects from combs to cludonometers.